Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Hello, thanks for listening to our podcast. Our guest today is Erica Guardachon, a speech-language pathologist at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. She's also a curriculum developer and faculty member at Revital Cancer Rehabilitation. After completing her undergraduate degree in speech-language pathology at Hofstra University, Erica went on to pursue graduate studies at Nova Southeastern University. She's practiced for more than a decade as a clinical specialist in the Cognitive Rehabilitation Program at Kessler. The program is designed to help people with brain injuries rebuild cognitive skills, restore physical and emotional strength, and maximize independence. Erica is a clinical lead in the program. She has a deep interest in cancer-related cognitive problems and is considered an authority on attention, focus, and memory impairments and rehabilitation strategies. As a faculty member at Revital Cancer Rehabilitation, she recently co-led a continuing education course for therapists and other clinicians called Cancer-Related Cognitive Decline. Today, Erica joins us to talk about what we commonly call chemo brain, but is really thinking and memory problems caused by a number of factors. Erica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So as we have been talking and researching back and forth, setting up the podcast, what is commonly called chemo brain, that's really not a good name for it because there are a lot of factors that can contribute to it. So can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. So chemo brain is really a term that's been utilized in the past to describe um, cognitive changes, things like memory and attention and problem solving that people might have after receiving chemotherapy. But through years of research, what we now know is that um, these cognitive changes are actually really more multifactorial and can be due to a number of reasons. So not only chemotherapy, but many other factors, things like radiation, hormone therapy, stress, cancer-related fatigue, medications such as steroids, and potentially inflammation caused by the cancer itself. So due to this fact, research has begun to really utilize um, this term um, that Jamie mentioned, cancer-related cognitive decline. It's a more encompassing term for all these multiple potential causations of cognitive changes. So now we're seeing that it's not just chemotherapy, but it, it could be a number of other factors related to cancer and its treatment. So the other thing about that term um, is that they're using this term decline versus impairment. Also because in the past, breast cancer survivors were reporting these cognitive changes, but when going through testing, nothing was coming up as everything was falling in the average range. But what we now know is that this is still a decline for most women who are used to falling in more high average and superior intellect, and now they're having more challenges, and they're falling in more of an average range. So although it's not necessarily an impairment, it's still a decline in their typical um, cognition. 
Got it. And that probably makes people feel better who say were not treated with chemotherapy, but still felt like they were having some issues. And they're like, but how can this happen? I didn't have chemotherapy. So that's good to know. Now, what are some of the, the symptoms or some of the things that somebody might be experiencing with this type of cognitive decline? So typically um, what individuals are reporting are things... Uh, I think multitasking is the thing that I hear the most. So, um, you know, before before cancer, I was able to answer emails while talking on the phone or updating my schedule while uh, driving. Or so, so they, people were able to do multiple things at the same time. Where now they said, I feel like I can only do one thing at a time. If I'm in the middle of answering an email and my son is talking to me, I can't divide my attention. So that's that's one huge thing. Um, memory is another one. Um, I'm forgetting things that I have to do later. I want to stop at the grocery store on the way home, and I realize I'm home, and I forgot to do it. So memory is another huge one. And another big one is word finding. So that's in conversation when you're trying to think of a word that you want to use, and it's, it's, it's almost on the tip of your tongue. So those are the, the, the main ones that a lot of our, our patients are reporting. And again, as cancer treatments continue to get better and prevention and early diagnosis is improving, people are going back to work. People are going back to their lives. They're returning to their role as spouse. They're returning to their role as parent while going back to work. And now they're doing so with a, a change in their cognitive. So this is really impacting people um, on, on multiple levels. So what, what I'm seeing or what we're seeing um, clinically is definitely difficulty with word finding. Attention is a huge one. So um, it's more so that when people are initially um, at listening to information or, or participating in something, they're impacted by their attention. And then just something else called executive functioning, which is uh, more related to higher level decision making and problem solving. And this is actually um, being backed up in the research. What they're finding is in um, some of these functional MRI scans where they can measure brain activity. They're seeing through um, the blood flow that there's actually changes in these areas responsible for attention and executive functioning. So there's definitely a legitimate issue that's happening with these with these patients and their cognitive changes. And just to maybe if you could explain a little bit more with the executive decision making, is that something that happens more often if someone is at work or is that something that we do all the time every day when we're faced with a decision um just if you could give me a little bit more information on that yeah absolutely so what we what we kind of call executive functioning is sort of the boss of our brain so it kind of yeah it's 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 called executives, almost like an executive of a company. So it's kind, it's always managing everything that's happening in our brain and managing everything that's happening in our life. So yes, at, at higher levels, we're going to see it more when we're at work and we're, you know, and the demand is higher, but it's happening, it's happening every day. Um, you know, while you're cooking, you have to make decisions. You have to monitor how am I doing on this? What are my next steps? So that's all executive functioning organization plays a role in your executive functioning. So, you know, we talk to patients a lot about trying to reduce clutter on your desk because organization can be challenging afterwards. Prioritizing, so figuring out which tasks um, are more important to complete than others. Um, that's all part of your executive functioning. Oh, excellent. So it sounds like the movie Inside Out really was kind of accurate. Yeah. <laughs> in, in many, all in those little... Yeah. Oh, good to know. Good to know. So more seriously, um, I know a lot of people on our discussion boards talk about 
experiencing a lot of these things and they kind of commonly call it chemo brain, which we now know is not absolutely correct. But has there been any research looking at the number of people that experience this? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it's constantly changing, but um, as of right now, the research is saying that up to 30% of patients who've had cancer are reporting cognitive deficits before treatment's even happening. So some of the some of the speculation there might be it could be due to stress, um, again, some potential for that inflammation of the cancer itself. 75% report some kind of cognitive change during treatment itself. So um, it, again, we have fatigue, stress, the nausea, the, the complications of the cancer itself, inflammation, the chemotherapy, um, you know, the, the financial stress of managing, you know, being out of work while, while managing and recovering from cancer. And then 35% of patients with cancer are reporting cognitive difficulties after treatment. So this could be anywhere from, you know, right after completing treatment up to 20 years later, they're still reporting some type of cognitive change after the cancer and its treatment. Wow. So actually that was, I was curious about that. Is it, is it something that ever goes away on its own or if you experience it, are you likely to continue to experience it? As you said, 10, 20 years after treatment? Yeah, so again, it, there's so many different um, potential risk factors, and every brain is different, so everyone is different, and I think that depending on the patient, yes, some of them, it, it does go away. Some work or develop strategies to work around it so it doesn't become of much of an issue anymore. And, you know, again, when we're talking 20 years later, we're talking about age coming into play and many other factors that might impact it. But there are things that you can do to, to help for sure. Okay, good to know. And I guess all of this too, I remember when I first started at breastcancer.org and was writing about what was then called chemo brain, um, some women were saying, well, my doctor told me it really doesn't exist. It's just in my imagination. So what you're saying is very validating because it is a real thing. It's really there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I think, the first thing um, that I tell patients is this is real. Just them hearing that and validating the fact that, yes, no, you are truly having cognitive changes. Um, and no, it's, it's not something that's in your head. And no, it's not just psychological, um, which I think is often what gets told to, to patients. So, yeah, it, it is a legitimate issue for sure. Okay. That's, that's very good to know. Now, uh, in your earlier answer, you mentioned risk factors. Um, could, you talk, could you expand that and tell us what are some of these risk factors for having uh, cognitive decline? after a cancer diagnosis? So some potential risk factors that you, you can modify and, and work to maybe hopefully uh, help at least mitigate some of the effects. Um, so things like making lifestyle changes, uh, avoiding smoking, regular exercise and physical activity, uh, maintaining a healthy diet, a healthy sleep routine is also really important, and um, managing stress for sure. One of the, the good things about the program that I'm lucky to work for, Revital, is that the therapists are highly trained in working with patients, um, and, and they help them to develop exercise and physical activity, um, reintegration and, and adaption programs to help uh, lower the effects of the cancer treatment even before it starts. So this might help mitigate some of the potential risk factors for these cognitive issues. 
Another thing that research is analyzing is this concept of cognitive reserve. So our cognitive reserve is really um, our developed cognitive capacity, and this is influenced by things like our genetics, um, education, our occupation, and also our exposure to cognitively stimulating activities. So, you know, I'm often telling patients it's important to um, include cognitively stimulating activities in your daily life. So this can really be anything. Um, I think sometimes our patients are feeling like we have to be doing uh, computer-based programs or we have to be doing specific cognitive exercises, but there's so many things that are really cognitive-based. So anything that involves new learning, so if it's something you love and it involves new learning, do it. So it could be traveling. Um, it could be learning a new recipe, learning a new language, playing, learning how to play a song on the guitar. Any kind of new learning. Uh, if you love reading, reading is great. So anytime you can have your brain have that opportunity for new and uh, stimulating activities, it can help increase your cognitive reserve, which we're finding in turn may potentially help reduce this risk of developing cognitive impairments. Interesting. So when you say cognitive reserve, it's almost like... Um... If, if this is a good analogy, you can tell me, like you've got this, this base kind of in there that you can draw on when you start maybe having some problems. Exactly right. Exactly okay. right. Yeah. Okay. And I'm curious too, since it sounds like so many factors can affect this cognitive decline, um, mm -hmm. do you find that it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of treatment? Do, do you have to kind of, uh, uh, I guess, try things out and see if they work, and if they don't work, try something else? Or are there really some tried-and-true things that work for everybody? Oh, no, absolutely. I say all the time there's no cookie-cutter way to target cognition. It's just there is no possible way because every brain is different. All of these potential factors are different, so what could be causing it can be different for everybody. So, no, not everyone's going to have the same issues. Some might have more word-finding. Some might have more difficulty with attention, and how it impacts them in their daily life is different. So, no, there's, there's no cookie-cutter way to really address it. So working with a specialist is very important because, one, they're going to help you identify where you're having difficulty but they're also going to help you figure out, one, how can I work on these difficulties? And two, what can I do to work around them? So if I'm having trouble with memory, what kind of systems can I develop? You know, am I someone who can start using alarms on my phone? Am I someone who needs to maybe use planners or calendars? So there's t so many different resources. And depending on your job or, or your life, you know, your therapy is going to be different. And what you need is going to be different to address these challenges. Okay. So are there any anything sort of generally that people can do? Like I have read some studies showing that exercise can help, you know, maybe uh, I think I read something else suggesting that maybe acupuncture could offer a little bit of help. Are there, are these sort of broad things that, that you recommend that people do or otherwise, are there some specific treatments that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. So I think we kind of touched upon this already, but I think the first and foremost fact is that people need to know this is real. There are things you can do to help, and, and this is something that is a legitimate problem. So I think identifying and making that okay um, is, is very important or something you need to think about. 
but yeah, so there, there's plenty of things that the research is showing can help. Exercise is huge. So what we know about exercise and physical activity is it can reduce that inflammation, which can increase the risk of cognitive issues. So exercise and physical activity is, is huge. Sleep management has also shown to really help improve cognitive issues. So trying to create an optimal bedtime routine for yourself, going to bed at the same time, limiting screen time has made a huge correlation between improving cognition. Stress, I think, I think you know, it makes sense, but stress and psychological adjustment um, plays an integral role in your recovery and has a direct correlation to cognitive impairment. So figuring out ways to manage stress is very important. You mentioned acupuncture. That is one in the research that can help reduce stress, which then in turn can help reduce that potential for cognitive impairments or, or how much it impacts cognitive impairments. Um, things like music therapy. Mindfulness, which I know that you've done podcasts uh, previously on mindfulness. Some ideas of muscle relaxation techniques, which is this idea of um, tensing specific muscles and releasing them to help reduce stress. Yoga. Also, just support groups and, and psychological counseling as needed. So those are the, the, more, the more general ideas, but um, things that you can do on your own. But specifically in cognitive rehabilitation, um, which I, I do suggest for patients who feel like they're having difficulty with cognition, you know, the first thing we're doing is we're assessing. We're, we're performing a comprehensive assessment. We're figuring out exactly where you're having difficulty. We're figuring out how that's impacting you in your everyday life. Um, and then we're going to target it twofold. So one, we're going to work on what we call remediation. So we're going to work to help the brain improve that issue. So we're going to help the brain understand there's a problem there and try and target what we call neuroplasticity. So help the brain to just impair some of that damage or work around some of that damage. And then the second part is we're going to be working on these compensatory strategies, so ways that we can work around it. So, again, everybody is different. I, you know, I've worked with teachers. I've worked with doctors. I've worked with mothers. So not every strategy is going to be the same for everybody. So figuring out what strategy is going to work to help them continue to do all the things that they want to do in their life, maybe not exactly the same way, but using strategies that they can still do the same things they want to do. So um, cognitive rehab has definitely proven within um, research that it, and I've seen it firsthand, that it can really make a difference. Excellent. Excellent. So good to know, even if people feel like they still have some issues, it sounds like there are tools that then, as you said, they can continue to do what they did, but just maybe with some help. Exactly right. So I have to ask, too, because we do hear from folks in our discussion boards who may live in very, very rural settings or, you know, very far away from big clinics, don't have access to a therapist like you. Are, do you know of any sort of online or I'm thinking remote access to therapists like that? Or do people really have to travel? Uh, that's a wonderful question. I know there are. I don't know within our program if that exists. That is something that we are hopefully working towards happening. In the meantime, there are the computer-based programs have been shown to make improvements. So um, is it ideal to work with a therapist along with the computer program? Yes. Um, but things like Lumosity, Brain HQ, um, these are just some of the computer activities that are available online um, that you can do to, you know, get more information and target some of these areas that you're having difficulty with. 
Okay. Well, that's good to know that there are things that people can do completely on their own. Yep. Okay. So now it's sort of to wrap up. If, if somebody thinks they're having cognitive issues, are there a series of steps that you recommend? Like, are there sort of, can they test themselves to figure out like, is this, is this happening to me? Am I slipping and then go forward? And what would you suggest they do? So obviously first, uh, starting with your doctor, and you can hear through this podcast that you're right, it is becoming more and more prevalent in the research and through medical professionals that they are learning more about this. So I do feel like oncologists and doctors are very much more aware of the fact that this is a legitimate issue. So I think starting with your doctor is first and foremost. Talking to your doctor about the potential for maybe participating in physical therapy um, to work on an exercise program or cognitive therapy or speech therapy. So I know sometimes it's hard to find a specific cognitive therapist throughout the country, but speech therapists and occupational therapists are all trained in cognition. And it's important if, if you can, and it's available near you, to find a therapist who is highly trained in cancer rehabilitation would be my first suggestion. So the Revital program is nationwide. Um, it's run through Select Medical. So that is definitely a great resource if you are anywhere near a Select Medical facility. Um, that would be my first recommendation. But most speech therapists and occupational therapists are, have a great background in cognitive therapy and can also help with this as well. And then if so, if they find a therapist or if they talk to their doctor, is it optimal for them maybe to start doing some stuff on their own? Um, you know, maybe if they have to wait to get an appointment or is it really better just to see what the therapist says? I mean, I would I would start with the doctor first um, okay. and see what the recommendations because every every again, everybody is different. So, you know, every doctor is going to have different recommendations. Um, but yes, starting with the doctor first, you can always call and ask questions. Um, I am happy to answer any questions that anybody might have um, and point them in the right direction in their area or even help maybe find someone in their area. Um, that's something I'm very happy to do. So I think that's probably the, the first place to start is with your doctor. And then again, I'm happy to answer any questions for any patient who has them. Excellent. Erica, thank you so much. I, this has been really helpful and pretty validating for a lot of people who are dealing with this issue. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I love having this opportunity to talk about this. Um, it's something that I feel very passionate about, and I do feel like it is definitely underserved, and, and a lot of women and men um, are not necessarily getting the treatment that they need. So I'm happy to help educate. Thank you for listening to the BreastCancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.